You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. And it's Friday, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the podcast. Happy Friday, happy Friday, happy Friday. Uh, one of my favorite days of the week uh, and for for some reason we, we've been really busy at my real job lately with uh, some new projects that have been coming out really stressful and it's one of those uh, one of those weeks where you kind of feel that the cubicle walls are slowly creeping in and crushing you but Friday comes along and we bounce out of there tap dancing on the way to the vehicle however it is going to be probably a high of negative 10 on Sunday, which I was hoping was going to be one day later. The forecast has changed a little bit, um, and Monday, archery season opens again in Iowa, and I have a late season food plot that I've already mentioned, or I shouldn't say food plot, it's uh, standing corn on a neighboring property that I don't have permission to hunt, but my buddy, my buddy's farm borders up next to it. And he has some trails running to and from his, uh, to and from his property. And, uh, I'll be sitting kind of in between that, uh, standing corn and some bedding areas, maybe a little transition area in hopes to, uh, try to get, uh, you know, try to get, uh, one of these, mature bucks that might be around i I haven't checked my checked my trail cameras in a bit so i don't know what's out there i'll check them probably on uh friday or saturday or today or saturday or sunday before i go out i might even hang a tree stand up that way i don't have to do it when um you know when i'm wearing all my thick heavy clothes because it is going to be cold out so uh, I'm kind of excited for my late season. I might be taking a trip to a farm in a different county that I've never hunted before too. So uh, they have some standing corn on it and I got offered to come hunt. Uh, I have no experience on that farm. So it's always, it's always kind of cool to go hunt uh, new places and uh, I might give it a try or I might stay close to home. Really don't know. But uh, before you know it, it is hunting season's over. Um, and for me, it ends on January 10th and that very last week of the season, I'll, I'll be in Indianapolis for the ATA archery trade association trade show. And, uh, yeah, so that's my upcoming schedule of events. Other than that, man, we have another really cool podcast today and we're going to be talking with Corey Snoke of Ohio about how he approaches his season and some of the success that he's had uh, recently on a farm that uh, holds a big deer straight up. And uh, so this 10 pointer that he shot this year while he was kind of chasing some other big bucks 
and the story that goes along with that. So it's a pretty cool podcast. But before we get into today's podcast, I spoke with Matt Klein from Exodus Trail Cameras about why you should choose an Exodus Trail Camera. Well, the one thing I'd say is, one, the fact that people are willing to give us their hard-earned money. So, you know, our product's in the $200 price point. Frankly, that's a day of somebody's time. You know, we come from the construction industry. That's our background. It's a big deal to us that people are willing to spend their money on us. We want to show people that when they buy Exodus, they're getting the best value in the market. Our five-year warranty um, and guarantee, our 90-day money-back guarantee, if you're not happy with your camera, you give us a call. We'll, we'll totally take care of you. In fact, we'll pay the return shipping. Um, our 50% off theft replacement policy, all of those things mean a lot. But the fact that we build our cameras to last, the fact that we build our cameras for guys that are chasing big mature deer, not just as novelty items like a lot of companies are building them. You know, our products literally are our trade. That's our passion, what we do, what we love. And every single one that goes out, we test, we make sure that it, you're going to get a product that's working well. We make sure that you're going to get a product that's working for years to come and is going to assist you in everything that we love to do as hunters and as outdoorsmen. We're really excited that, uh, that, that people are considering Exodus. Guys, if I've said it once, I've said it a hundred times, go to ExodusOutdoorGear.com. Check out Exodus's trail cameras and uh, read up on all the benefits and uh, some of the features that this camera has that some of the other cameras on the market don't have. It's really interesting and innovative stuff. I strongly suggest you go check it out. Now, if you do decide to purchase and Christmas is coming up, use the code nine fingers. That's the number nine followed by the word fingers and you will receive $20 off of your purchase. Pretty good savings if you ask me. Now, Let's get into today's podcast with Corey Snoke from Ohio. All right. On the phone with me now is Corey Snoke. Is that right? That's it. I nailed it. Good. I, I'm For some reason, there's days I just can't read. Uh, and you know, my mom always used to tell me, sound it out, sound it out. But how are you doing today, Corey? I'm doing pretty good. I've had a good day. Good. Good, good. Uh, by the looks of the picture that I'm looking at right now, you've also had a great uh, bow season as well. Yeah, it's uh, it's been one of those years where things worked out. It's not always like that. So I've had a good year, and uh, I'm just enjoying the holiday season now. That's right. Why don't you tell us uh, where you're from and what do you do for a living? Okay. Well, uh, I'm from uh, central Ohio. I, I live not so far out of Columbus, uh, toward the Hocking Hills region. And uh, I'm a career firefighter. Uh, I work a 24-on, 48-hour off shift. Um, so it gives me ample time for family and, and recreation. And uh, the front edge of that would be uh, deer hunting. So uh, it gives me a lot of time, so so much time that uh, on the side, I also run a small guide service. So in the fall, nice. I, I host a... I host a handful of hunters and they, uh, they come and they stay at my house with me and I take them to all my different properties that I have access to and, and we hunt in unison. So. Oh, cool. So you, you're, you're kind of like an outfitter, but on somebody else's property, you guide them on other people's properties. Yeah. Mostly family owned properties and, um, 
friends' properties that that know what I'm doing. And what I do with right. that is I, I pay. You know, I'm not you know I'm not shady fly by night kind of guide service operation that everybody's scared of. Everything's on the up and up. Everybody's really familiar with who I am and what I'm doing. And we have agreements of varying degrees made out. So, okay, cool, cool. So, uh, how long have you been a firefighter? I've I've got 15 years in now on a full time department, paying into the pension system. So, another 15, and I'll be out the door. So I'm halfway there. Nice. How old are How old are you? I'm 36. So. Okay. So not too bad. You got uh, you'll be retired before you're before you're 60, huh? Yeah, and my wife, she just uh, got a full-time job as a teacher, so she's still got a full 28 to 30 years to work. So I'll be out the door way ahead of her, and, and uh, <laughs> hopefully by then the kids will be the kids will be out the door, and can you imagine the free time I'm going to have then? So. <laughs> You'll be able to do a lot of hunting. Yeah, the, the golden years are yet to come, or the best days are ahead. Wow. Wow. Well... Okay, so the when I think of uh, when I think of a firefighter, I think of the movie Backdraft. Have you ha- ever yeah. had to do anything really crazy, like go into uh, go into a, a building and like pull somebody out of it, or I'm gonna go or anything like that? I'm gonna say, fortunately, no. You know, okay. the fire service, or at least the department that I work for, has primarily transitioned to an EMS department, where the gotcha. majority of the time. You're, you're on a, a squad or an ambulance and you're taking sick people to the hospital, um, okay. you know, with the occasional fire and with today's modern technologies, you know, I just, the fires, they burn hotter, but there's, there's not as many of them. So yeah. the, the days of backdraft and, and seeing them, uh, covered in, uh, in Chicago fire, those, I think those days for the most part are, are uh, few and far between. Okay, cool. Well, it's good that there's not it, that uh, there's not any major burners anymore. But today we're going to be talking about this buck that you shot, a wide giant ten pointer, and I'm extremely jealous of you uh, that you shot it. It's a stud, uh, so congratulations on that front. But before we get into this year and this, uh, you know, this talking about that uh, specific buck. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the area that you hunt? Let's talk about some of the farms, the terrain, the ag timber split, all that stuff. Okay. Well, um, I guess I did a I did an interview with uh, a gentleman a while back that wrote an article about this this area that I hunt, and it's 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 a split. It's a really really unique area in that it it's really transitioning. Here comes my fellow coworkers now, and ambulance going past, but. Uh, it's a, it's an area that transitions from, from timber or, or from agriculture to timber to, um, glaciated areas that are really, um, flat. And then they go into unglaciated areas where the glaciers push it up. So it, it's really diverse in the fact that it's, it's a little bit of everything. And I think that's what makes the areas that I hunt so good is that is there's a wide variety of terrain features and just different, um, you know, different aspects of, uh, of terrain. So, um, places so for talking, the deer to hide, but places so for we're the deer talking to like a, a flat surface, right. With yep. all of a sudden just some big drop offs or some big Hills going up. Yep, exactly. Okay. So is there any like river bottoms, creek systems running through your area? 
creeks, but just small ones. There's, there's no major rivers that I can really speak of. Um, so, but I mean, there, that, and there's the low lying areas, you know, they're all going to have creeks, streams and springs in them. So, um, but a lot of food, a lot of, a lot of good cover, a lot of good high quality cover, which, you know, in my years of hunting is what I've found is I think the most important thing is good quality thick cover and lots of it, lots of places for the deer to hide. Okay. So that kind of brings me to my next question with, with that being, what are the deer numbers like in that area? Well, you know, if you would have asked me that 10 years ago and I said they were really good, you know, um, but they've been dwindling, you know, there's a lot of controversy when you look online and you look at, um, you know, I'm a big forum surfer and you look at all the, the various different forums that I surf. A lot of Ohio hunters are really mad because the deer numbers have really dwindled in the last 10 years. And I've attended a number of, uh, ODNR, um, open houses and, and seminars and whatnot. And, and they say that the carrying capacity was too high. There was too many deer and they wanted to harvest them down to a number. And they say that the potential now to shoot a trophy deer is higher because there's less mouths at the table, which makes sense. Um, but as deer hunters, we want to see deer when we go deer hunting. So it, it just causes a little bit of friction there. But I personally, and I'll catch a lot of slack for this. I think they're in the right area because I think things are getting better. I'm seeing more quality, more quality bucks than I have in the last previous years. Um, and people are saying I'm isolated on that, but things are looking really good, I think. So, right. but the deer numbers are definitely down. Right. And uh, I can, uh, I'll, I'll agree with you on that. I, uh, in Iowa, I remember when I first started bow hunting 2006, 2007, they, and when I mean hard, I, I bow hunted before that and would see the same amount, but I remember sitting in a tree stand and seeing 20 different deer a night. And, um, obviously that's a lot of deer compared to, um, today where I might see five, six deer, depending on what yeah. time of year it is. And, uh, and I, I really truly believe that I've witnessed the quality of deer also go up. Like there's more mature bucks, big mature bucks than there were, you know, uh, 10 years ago when yeah. there were higher numbers. So, you yeah, know, but there's so many of, things that influence that, that you don't right. really, it's hard to, it's hard to say that that's the, the, the factor. I mean, I'm sure we've both evolved as hunters and we, are trying to manage better, probably better than we did back then. So right. you don't know if that's part of the equation or not. So right. there's just so many different variables, but I just personally think we're in, we're on the right track. So, right. Well, that's good. And, uh, we both know that <laughs> opinions and, and who gives them sometimes can be, uh, can be uh, crazy as well. So, um, yeah. So kind of a di- diverse little area you got there. I mean, when did you start hunting, these these farms that you have access to today well like i said most of it's family property and it's been in our in our family for generations so as soon as i started hunting when my you know back in the day when i was a little kid it was it was deer drives during gun season you know that's that's how i was introduced to hunting and then you know as soon as i got old enough where i got really bit by the bug and i really wanted to you know kill deer with antlers and and be a little more um, hunt a little more on my own. I picked up a bow and that was when I was 16 and I got my driver's license. Um, and then I've been bow hunting 
you know, hard ever since. And, uh, so that's, uh, what's going on, what, 15, 16 years ago that, that I've been bow hunting and trying to, you know, trying to kill quality animals, I guess in, uh, the year was 2004, I killed a, I started hanging out with a gentleman that was, was killing booners. I mean, he was legitimately killing really good deer and he, he knew I was, had good properties and I was shooting decent bucks. And I killed a, a nice buck in 2004. It was 136 inch, really clean 10 point. And I was pretty excited to kill that deer. And I remember calling him and he came over to help me get it out of the woods. And he said, listen, this is great deer but you've got to stop shooting deer like this. This is the kind of deer that you got to pass. It's time to step up your game because you're going to have a wall full of these if you keep this up. And that was the year that I put my nose to the grindstone and started holding out for, you know, older class animals, quality trophy deer. So I have, I have this conversation with a lot of guys that, you know, they, they go on a roll maybe and they're killing 130 class deer, uh, 140 class deer, three year olds, right? Then, yeah. Then they make that switch that first year, uh, and they say, okay, whether it's me or somebody else, sounds like you. You had a another voice kind of tell you, hey man, and and that probably motivated you in a way. But how hard was it for you to that that following year to pass up that first three year old that maybe 140 class that walked by your stand it's it's still really hard because i tell you for me the onslaught at the firehouse is probably the hardest thing because you know there's other deer hunters that work at the firehouse but none of them are as passionate and as serious about it as i am so they're whacking deer all the time and here the the great white hunter is coming in day after day logging more hours than most and the guys are hackling you saying you can't shoot a deer. You haven't shot one yet, you know? And, and then, you know, I know you're in the same boat as me on this. Then you got your wife with kids at home that is just wishing you would, you know, plunge an arrow into something just so that you can remain or, you know, go back to your, your, your regular lifestyle. So it's hard. And you got all these voices chirping in your head as you're, as you're sitting there looking at this three-year-old 150 walking past you and you know, that for the majority of people out there, they would kill to shoot that deer. And right. if you post it on, on social media, you're going to get a lot of people saying, wow, it's a great buck. and It sure would feel good, but it's the right thing to do. You know, I, right. I, last year I shot last year, I, I digressed and I shot or regressed and shot a three and a half year old. It was by accident. And, and there's no science to this, what we're doing. It's not an exact science and you're going to mess up from time to time, but I had to make a split decision and I made the wrong one and it ate me up. And I, I, I will not do that again. I will pass a deer if I don't know from this day forward. And I will not shoot a deer that is, you know, before his full potential, because for me as a manager and for me personally, that's just not what I'm out there for. And it really, I let myself down when I do that. So it's, it's elevated beyond, you know, I think what most people can comprehend. So, you know, with you running kind of a guide service, you're running trail cameras all summer long, trying to locate and identify, um, bucks. How many deer do you have on 
your quote unquote hit list going into uh, an archery season typically? Well, like I said, things have getting better. And, and this was the best year that I've had since I would say since like around 2009 was probably the, a really good year that I remember I had more bucks to hunt than I could hunt. You know, Ohio is a one buck tag limit. So, yeah. you know, that was in itself one of the reasons I started my guide service is because I wanted to extend my season. I Once I shot a deer, I didn't want to be done. You know, the funnest part for me is, is, is dragging that deer out of the woods and giving the high fives over top of it when you finally, when you finally shoot one. And I wanted more of that. So that's why I host hunters, you know, it's, it's so much fun to have these guys in camp share stories and it just extends my season. But so going back to 2009 is what kind of did it. There was more bucks that I had to shoot than what I could. And then this year it was kind of like that. I went into the season, um, and I had a list with three bucks on the top and you know there was there was two bucks that were probably in the 180s 190s one that was in the 170s somewhere and then the buck that I shot was number four he wasn't even on the list I wasn't even going to hunt that deer because he just you know I'm pretty sure he was a five-year-old but he didn't measure up to the other bucks and you know why hunt him let's let him go another year um so I started out hunting those three deer in particular and they were by and large the two 190s they were goats i i i never saw them i hunted really hard um and then the third buck uh on my list that i called uh red he broke all his times off by the end by the first of november he started breaking times off so i ixnade him off the list and that bumped the 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 buck that i shot up to my number three spot and it just so happens he was a really huntable buck he was in a he was on a farm that was really super huntable and you know he had the tendency last year he walked some in daylight and this year he walked in daylight so it just that's just that's just kind of how he got he got marked off the list i guess or how he got his demise so what puts a buck on your hit list for me it's the history you know the history building is uh it's it's the paramount i mean it's the pinnacle um, in 2011, I killed a deer I, I, I called Shorty. And I can't say that I hunted him for three years, but I knew about him for three years preceding. I found a shed off to, of him when he was either a two or three year old. He was probably three. He was just a really weak three year old. Uh, and then in four, I didn't really hunt him either. Um, but he was a great buck. My uncle missed him that year, actually. And then the, the, the third year in 2011, he was. He was pretty much a giant, but I found sheds to him. I found the, the first year nine, one side, match sheds and 10. And then going into 11, I really, I really wanted him. Um, and I ended up killing that deer on Halloween morning. And uh, that was, and it still is my crowning achievement. He's not my biggest buck. He scored 168. Right. He's an awesome deer. But having sheds to him, having the history, playing that chess match with him, that's the pinnacle of deer hunting. So that's what I try to do now is I find sheds and then those are the deer that I target the, the following year. So, is, so it's not necessarily an age class thing. It's a history thing. Well, it's definitely an age class because, because even if I had sheds like a buck that I called fancy this year, I had the sheds to him last year. He was only a, a, a two year old last year and this year he's three and he came waltzing out on Halloween night and, I let him walk past me, you know, and he's in, he's in the one fifties. Some of the guys I had in camp this year said he's in the one sixties. Um, but 
he he's not in his prime. He's one of those bucks that's special, you know. If, if I can just give him another year or two, because he's going to be he's going to be four next year, and you know they start really getting smart at four. They get hard to kill at four and five. So, you know, the chances of him making it and getting really bigger are so good that you got to let him go. But but having sheds, man, I just I think it's so special. You know, they just look good on the wall when you got a buck on the wall that's mature big rack and then you got a set of sheds from him hanging underneath them it looks so good so so what happens then if we have like a a four-year-old buck who is pushing maybe 170 ish uh he's he he might be hitting booner status regardless of how many points he but you have no history with him but you're in you know you're in look you know let's say you're hunting this buck the the one that you ended up killing this year but another buck comes by you have no history with he's similar size similar score maybe even a little bit bigger are you are you passing a buck like that with no history if you're in tight after a a buck like for example like this no i can't say that i i wouldn't i wouldn't shoot him cuz chances are i would i mean the 170 inch deer is a big deer um you know but what what i tell you what i don't try to do is i i don't try to put myself in those situations um, if, if I have a farm and, th- and this is red last year, um, you know, he was in the one sixties and he was a four year old and I, I wouldn't hunt there. I did not want to put myself in that situation where I would have to make that decision, whether I was going to shoot 160 inch deer as a four year old, because I, I want to see my, my goal now is a five year old five and above. So right. if there's a really solid four year old, I try not to even hunt him. I try not to even go anywhere that I'll be tempted. So one of those bucks where, you know, I had a couple deer this year where you just hope you don't see them because yeah. they'd be so tempting that you may not, you may not pass them at the time they walk by your stand, but you just kind of wish you, you don't see those bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Right, so, so when, when do you typically start? your season uh are you the guy that goes out and tries to get it done early season or do you rely on your trail cameras to tell you uh when it's time to go out well first and foremost i'm a deer hunter so you know i'm always antsy to get the season started so i take a couple stabs at them early but um i don't i don't get crazy about it you know you hunt real light my edges and just just you know follow your cameras if, if you think you have a legitimate chance I take a stab at him, but I've never killed a buck before October 24th. So in all my years of, of, of bow hunting and all the hours that I logged, even back in the day when I was, you know, really, really, you know, a single and I could hunt and I was whacking two year olds. I've never shot a buck before October the 24th. So that right there is pretty evident in saying that your chances of killing a, a good deer early are pretty slim. So I don't beat myself up on it anymore. I really try to just, uh, once that mid October hits or once that peak of the opener hits, I, I lax off. And my wife is always like, when aren't you going to start hunting? When are you going to start hunting? And I, and Halloween's it, man. I just kind of wait for Halloween and then I pour the coals to it and try to get it done. Right. I don't think I I will ever hear my wife say, when are you going to start hunting? (laughs) (laughs) No, I heard that 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 when it's, when it's time, it's time, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm really, really fortunate. I've got a really uh, supportive wife that really, uh, she puts up with a lot, man. I tell you, she, uh, she's a great woman. So that's a fact. I got one of those too. 
So yeah, let's kind of talk about this this buck this year and the farm that the specific farm that he lived on. Why don't you lay that farm out for us? How many acres? Kind of where where the bedding areas were, where the food sources were, and what did you think this buck was doing? And, and then maybe also add in your history with this buck. Okay. Well, this hunt's crazy. I mean, I'll just I'll just start out by saying the way that it happened was crazy, and I I can't believe it happened. But uh, so this farm is uh, the, the the actual farm's probably around around sixty acres. And, uh, it consists of about a perfect, even split. It's, it's probably 30 agriculture, 30 wooded. Um, the woods continue, but I only have access to maybe 30 acres of woods and there's two giant ridge tops on top of it. I mean, they're, they're actually like really fast rising ridge tops and in between them is a house and the two ridge tops are the bedding areas and down in the bottom is agriculture. So it's a really easy no brain hunt situation where you catch deer coming from the food and they're going to bed and you sit between them and you know, you just, it's a waiting game. You know, you just gotta, you gotta put your time in and wait for that buck to, to make the mistake of, of staying down in the field and playing for a little too long. So, so when typically do they take the crops out of this farm? Um, you know, central Ohio, uh, they're always, you know, they'll start running corn and beans, um, looking at the moisture content they'll start running them in, uh, the end of October. And then that first, the first and second week in November, they're usually shelling corn and, and running full bore 24 hours a day. So you can usually this year, they got crops off really late, but you can usually count on the crops corn being off by, the, by the end of the first week in November, I would say is a good okay. a good benchmark does this right does this change how deer are moving on on this on this uh, particular piece of property once the crops i are definitely out? think i definitely think you know i always look at the crops uh being taken off as as pulling the rug out from under their whole environment changes and they, they have less security less security cover and it does it changes everything um but i think it makes them easier to hunt um, because it takes a, away from a lot of their security cover. So it, it condenses their movement. Um, so I always look forward to crops coming off and I always look forward to that right. first hunt right after the crops come off, just to see if you can pull the rug out from under them and, and, and catch them off guard. So you said on this particular piece of property, there's kind of a, a house that splits the two sides of it, almost like dead center in the middle. Yeah. Right, right between the two bedding areas. So in the past, and one of the, one of the things that I utilize my trail cameras for is, is a lot of guys, you know, they use their trail cameras to see where a deer's going, but I'll, I'll also look at it as where he's not going, you know? So I, yeah. on this particular farm, I run, you know, I don't like to go deep into the timber. I don't like to try, you know, try, you know, walk her all over the place. So I'll put a camera and this is in, in 2000 12, I killed a buck on the opposite, on the other bedding area, on the other side, but I'll put a camera where I have easy access to it, to the one bedding area. And if I think a deer is using that area, like if he's hitting the scrapes in the feet in the field and I'm not getting him on a scrape going to the one bedding area, I'll assume that he's using the other bedding area and I'll hunt that one harder. So, okay. um, so 
he's going to go to if he's going to be on this property, he's going to go to one of the uh, one or one of the two beds. So you just kind of got to guess on which which one of the bedding areas you're going going to go to, or hopefully he goes to both of them the day you're hunting. You know, those, you're looking for those ideal weather conditions where he's on his feet, you know, for multiple hours and he's hitting all every bedding area in the in the neighborhood. So right. So the neighbor the neighboring properties are are the deer kind of held to this particular property or do they uh cross some lines and, and go uh wander elsewhere not at all you know the, the deer in this area man i tell you and that's that's what's so neat is i have access to a lot of farms in this particular area so i i can i can see how the deer move and in years ago i had a buck that on one cold night he hit two farms that were five miles apart and and people were like they don't believe me but on a on as a straight line pin to pin five miles on the same night and i think most of the deer most of the deer are like that i mean i can't say most of the deer are like that but they all have the ability to do that you know there's no fence holding them in they can go anywhere they want so um if i if i had the knowledge to say exactly how much terrain a, a particular deer covered i'd be killing them all but that's what's so you know, what's, that's what drives us crazy about deer hunting is not knowing what the, you know, you only know a fraction of what he's doing from your cameras or visual observations. You only know a very little bit about that deer. Right. So when did, when did you run into this buck? How many years ago? Uh, well, I first got him on camera that I, I went back and I've looked at all my preceding years. He showed up last year for the first time. Um, he was okay. there all summer. There's a wild apple, a wild apple tree on this farm in a creek line out in the agriculture area that uh, um, I put a salt block underneath to of every summer and just run a camera because the apples are there. Put some salt there. Pretty soon, you, by the end of the summer, you'll have just about every buck that's in that given area. And this uh, this deer that I shot this year, I called him Baby Denali. He showed up uh, last year at the salt lick, and he was there you know, quite frequently. Um, and last year was kind of a struggle for me as in the fact that, um, I had a lot of great bucks, but they were on farms that I was taking clients to. And I don't, I, I, it's a real fine line. I have to tread. I try to save all the farms that I can take my clients to. I save those deer and those farms for those guys. I don't hunt those deer. So I try to hunt the deer that, that are on farms that I solely can only have access to places I can't take other people that I don't have those agreements with. So last year, this buck was on, and this year was, and he is, or was on the farm that only I could hunt. And that sounds bad, but trust me, it, it it's, it's not like that, but, uh, he was on, so I, he was kind of on the list last year. He was, you know, he was, he was a four-year-old, but he was kind of on the list because I didn't have anything else to hunt. So I went in there to get yeah. a look at him, um, mid October and he came waltzing by and had it not been so light and I had so many deer around me and I was trying to positively identify him and he was new last year. So I didn't know exactly what age he was. You know, there was a lot of factors. I just wanted to get a look at him last year and he walked past me last year, mid October, I think it was around the 15th or 17th. It was, it was the first October cold front we had last year. And, uh, I'm glad he got past me now, you know? So, right. But then I ran corn for him hard last year, late season. I never could find him. He, he disappeared. He okay. was a ghost. So there's, there's some examples and I've talked with this, uh, to some other guys on different podcasts, but 
typically when you take out a big mature bully buck, maybe one that uh, runs every other buck out of the area and he's pretty aggressive and um, that buck gets shot or taken off or dies or, or something, then there's kind of a vacuum for power. And yeah. there's a whole, there, you know, all these other bucks come in to try to stake their claim. Have you ever had a kind of a scenario like that on this particular farm? I definitely believe in that. And I saw that this year in the most compounded uh, scenario uh, on my, on my personal farm, we shot a six year old, a client shot a six year old eight point that has been there since I've owned my farm. And, uh, the week after he shot that deer, a new five-year-old showed up that I'd never seen before. And so I put a client on that deer and they shot that deer. And now guess what's showing up this week? Another buck that I have never seen before, you know, a, a solid, you know, I think he's a nine point. I, I wouldn't shoot him. He's, he's, he's just a, he's a mature buck and I have no idea where he came from. And it, and I have seen that several times it's, is the you know the biggest baddest buck has the best bedding area with a bunch of does and those kind of spots are coveted and they don't last if nobody's living there somebody's going to find out and move in on it so right you can okay. you can always look forward to that once you shoot a big buck you know what's going to move into that spot right so that's an example of this year, but what about maybe the year that he showed up? Did you, did you kill a, a buck off that property or somebody kill a, a big mature uh, buck off that property that allowed him to move in? No. Uh, I think that let's see here in the years preceding that, uh, 12 was the last time I killed a deer there. So 13 and okay. yeah, 13 and 14, there wasn't much there. It was, it was kind of a growing year for that, that farm, you know, uh, for, I remember running cameras. I know I got one buck out there that was decent, but it was, uh, those both 13 and 14, uh, were, were years where I didn't see a whole lot of activity out there. So, okay. So, so now this, this buck shows up last year. Did you happen to find his sheds or anything like that? Man, I looked everywhere for him. I looked high and low. I ran corn piles. I was, I was tagged out last year, so I had, you know, time to put corn out. And I, I ran corn for him and I was looking for him because, because I, I, I knew that if he made it, he was going to go in, you know, as high on the list of deer to shoot. So I really wanted to have his shed and I couldn't find him. I looked everywhere and I couldn't find him. I don't, and I, I never even saw the buck. I don't even know where he went. So it was, it was, and, and he did the same thing and we'll get to it, but he did the same thing this year. We, uh, he was there early and then he disappeared. And he was gone and I, and I didn't know where he went and I didn't have access to him wherever he was. So right. I just kind of thought he was gone and, and, you know, one less, one less buck to worry about, you know, hunting, I guess. So, right. So at the beginning, at the beginning of this year, um, when did he show up this year? The first camera I put out the, the you know, within the first week, you know, I'm, I'm not your typical guy that can let a camera sit for a long soak. I just don't have the endurance for that. I'm, I'm like a kid in a candy store and I check all my trail cameras, you know, like a lot of guys, I check them off the, off the four wheeler or off the UTV. So I don't think it's really hurting them. Uh, you know, so I'll go in, I'll check my camera. Heck, a lot of times I'll check my camera every day, you know, not during the summer, but in the, during hunting season, I'll 
routinely check my cameras every day because I want to know if a if a buck is frequenting that spot. I want to I want to be there when you know current information. So yeah, first camera pool, man. I I, I dumped a bucket of apples with uh, the camera, went in, and I mean it didn't take but a split second to say, there he is. There's Baby Denali, and he looks like a good one. I mean he was so wide. I just I couldn't believe it. I was like, yes, finally I've got a a, a solid buck to hunt this year. Okay, so you located him and uh that was in october you said late october yeah that was that was summer that was i'm sorry i didn't even give you oh, the time that was july okay that was july i always start putting my cameras out around fourth of july is when i always okay, put my cool. cameras out all right so, so yeah by, you, by by the end of june july he was he was or by the end of july he was already a giant you know he was yeah. pretty much everything he was going to be Right. Okay. So you got summer pictures of him. You knew he was around. Uh, and then you said he disappeared for a while, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then um, when did he make his appearance again? Well, he, 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 I can't say he really disappeared. Well, so starting from July all the way through till, um, I think it was October the 7th or 17th. I think it was October the 17th was the last picture I got of him. And he, uh, he hit a scrape that was really close to a really good tree stand that I hunt all the time on this farm. He hit a scrape that was right there. And, you know, I wasn't hunting yet. I was holding out for October. So then from, from October the 17th, and I really wasn't hunting that deer, like I said. So from October the 17th, when I started really hunting hard all the way through, you know, first and second week in November, I still had a camera over there just to see if he was coming around, but he didn't, he didn't come around. So, and, and it, it slowly dwindled, you know, he was there a lot in September and then starting in October, you know, you was getting him a little less frequent, you know, you'd get him once a week and then, then it was going, you know, every nine days. And then all of a sudden he's just not there. So right. I figured he did okay. the same thing. I figured he'd vanished and he'd went to wherever he ruts wherever he spends his late season. So, okay. So, so when did you end up getting like a trail camera picture? I mean, cause it sounds to me like you're, you're not going to just go into the timber and hunt randomly. You have, you're kind of calculated and, and you go in there for a specific deer. Did he show up again uh, via trail camera? All right. So I was you know, hunting. Hey, it's time to go in. I was hunting a one, a one ninety. I mean, that was what I was on the same farm, was a, a different farm. And, and I can, farm. Okay. I'll, it, it, it's close, but it's a different farm. And, but this 190, I've never seen on this other farm that had baby Denali on it. Never seen him before okay. over there. So I'm hunting this 190 and the, the night before I shot my deer, the neighbor, and I'm a really open guy with my deer hunting. I share, I'm not like most people. I'm not super secretive. I share information, especially with my neighbors and all my friends. I've learned that it helps me. It helps me more, more than it hurts me. It let me know what deer are out there, and it lets me let them know what deer are out there to hopefully help them make a decision on what deer to shoot and help them progress into that trophy hunter a little faster. And then we're all shooting top-end bucks, and it, it just it helps more than it hurts. So, And in this episode, or in this, this case, it really helped. So the night before I shot my deer, baby Nolly, the neighbor sent me a message on Facebook and he said, Hey, just so you know, he said, 
babies and Ollie, and he called the deer field goal because his racks is wide as a field goal post. He said field goal, and your 190, your 190 is on this farm now, and field goal's back. I got pictures of him for the last couple of days. So the next morning, it was a no-brainer where I was going to hunt. I had to go hunt a farm I was really familiar with. It had a 190 on it that I was handling on a different farm, and it had a one you know, a 160 that I wasn't really interested in hunting on it, but if they're both there, that's just a, a positive. So that's where I hunted that morning. It was pretty much a no brainer. The wind was, the wind was perfect for it and, um, entry was perfect. So I slid in talk and, to me, and it was. Talk to me a little bit about that, uh, that access from, you know, when you get out of your truck to, you know, that walk to the, uh, tree stand that you, uh, were hunting using for this uh, particular hunt. All right. So I preach all the time entry. I think entry is like one of your, it's, it's one of the biggest factors of, of, of hunting big deer. And I like to go shallow. I don't, I don't like to go deep in timber. I like to hunt the edges. I like to find that, that weakest, that, the weakest link of a deer or a bedding area, the weakest link of a bedding area that has easy entry that is, you know, perfect. And I wrote an, uh, I can't say an article, but I wrote a really long story on the forums that I frequent a few years ago. And I, it was called road to success is what I labeled it. And that's one that I live by. I hunt close to roads. A lot of times I use a road as my entry route because one, it gives you, um, the road noise covers your entry a lot. And two, it gives a perfect place for your wind to go to. So even in the suburban farms that I have that are, you know, backcountry roads or, you know, the little more suburban places that I hunt closer to cities, I pretty much don't stray far from the road. And it's not because I'm lazy. It's just because it's an, it's, I, to me, it's the ideal situation. You're not educating your deer and you're getting in without alarming deer. And that lets them walk un, you know, unalarmed. And that's what you want. You want the deer to walk without a care in the world. So on this particular so used, morning, yeah, go ahead. So you used, you used a road to access this particular tree stand. Yeah. I park a long ways away from properties. Typically I'll get dressed in the field and then I'll walk a long ways down the road and then just slip off the road and, and get, you know, to my tree stand as fast and as silent as I can. And my wind direction is always going toward a road. I mean, that's, that's just one of the ways that I hunt, but it, it turns out, you know, on the, you know, this farm, it's, it's, it's the only way I hunt that farm is, is I pretty much the only tree stand I have on that farm is set up for a North wind and, and, and I access it off the road and my wind always goes back out onto the road. So, okay. So are you, what would you consider your tree stand location? Is it a transition, uh, like area where they're coming from food to bed? Is it a pinch point? Is it a bedding area or are you hunting like just off of a food source? Well, this, this, that stand has it all. It's um because of the road and because of the bedding area, it serves as a pinch, but I'm also right on the edge of the bedding area. So, you know, you can, you could technically even say, you know, I can, at times I can sit in the tree stand, I can see deer bedding. Um, but then the food is right below it. So it's, 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 you know, it's a tight package of, of everything put together and that's what makes it such a great spot. And it's, it's just, it's just a little bit of everything, but, um, 
you know, it's definitely a funnel in the, in the essence of usually typically if a deer comes through there, they always walk within shooting range. So yeah. the likelihood of them walking out of range coming through there and not walking with where, you know, somewhere is usually pretty, pretty small margin. Okay. Now, historically, have you had good success from this particular tree stand location? And when I mean success, I mean deer working by you within shooting range. Yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a family doe group that lives in that bedding area. So pretty much if I have a good entry, I can pretty much count on seeing five does more or less every time I hunt this stand. As long as I don't overhunt it, I can count on that family doe group to come out of the food source, walk right past me on, you know, right on upwind of me, not knowing I'm there and going right into their bedding area. So, okay. you know, it's, it's, it's a perfect stand and I save it. I save it for those ideal conditions. And, you know, when I think, uh, uh, you know, I got a high likelihood of seeing a mature buck. Okay. So go ahead and walk us through that. You know, it sounds to me like, uh, it was one of the first time, first times in, uh, in this particular location that you ended up uh, getting a crack at him. Yeah, it was probably maybe my third time into that stand just because, okay. uh, like I said, I, I, he wasn't a buck that I really wanted to hunt. So I, I kind of, um, you know, I, I hadn't hunted there much. I, I think I took an early crack at him early season and then, uh, maybe one more just to get a, get a look-see at him. But, uh, I think I'm pretty sure this was my third time in. Um, it was, uh, it was what November the 20th, I believe it was. It was, uh, it was youth season in Ohio. So okay. it was, uh, so you had to wear a uh, blaze orange. So, um, I was archery hunting, but I had to have orange on and, uh, I got in early, you know, and that's another big thing that I preached to a lot of guys is I like to right. get in super early. I like to get in at least an hour and a half before, before legal shooting light. So that's right when I got in there. I got in an hour and a half early, sat in the dark. And as soon as it started waning light, I had the first buck on me. You know, I heard a snap, you know, right behind me. And I turn it because of the road noise. I was like, I never even heard him come in. I, all of a sudden I just have a deer on. Me. And that's always a good right. sign when you have deer at first light, because you know, you didn't blow a bunch of deer out of there and mess everything up. So. Okay. Um, so you, you had, uh, you had a, what, how many deer came by before you, uh, saw this guy? Well, I had, uh, had a young buck behind me there at first light. Then I saw another buck come work up through there, just like they should came right through the, the shooting windows and up into the bedding area. And then, uh, I had a third deer do that a third small buck. And this time he did the really traditional thing where I can see the deer coming from a long ways away and he's walking up the trail that comes right past me. And, and, you know, it's, it's mature timber below me. So I saw him from a long ways off and I saw his feet moving first. And, and that really got me excited. You know, uh, I thought, yes, this is it. This is the morning that's going to happen. You know, um, this is going to be a solid buck. And it, it was, and it was a young buck, but I, re I distinctively remember sitting there and fist pumping and saying, all right, this is the third buck. It, it's, this is the morning. It must be right. right. The conditions are right. So it's going to happen. Okay. Positive right. thinking. It always works. Sending good vibes out to the universe. Yeah. Okay. So how, what, how long was it until you, you first got your, a glimpse of him? Well, let me, let me just say this right here. So, so it was like, uh, probably 
it was about it was about eight thirty, and uh, I, I don't remember what time legal shooting light was that morning, but it was about eight thirty. My phone vibrated, and uh, I pulled it out of my pocket. And you're gonna love this. I looked at it, and it's my wife, and my usually very supportive wife uh, had taken a turn that morning because I'd left the house in shambles. The dishes were sky high. The the week preceding, <laughs> uh, they were they were they were piled out of the sink. The 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 uh, the week preceding, both my kids were sick. One of them had hand, foot, and mouth, and the other one had oh. almost near uh, had almost an ear infection. So we had a week of no sleep with sick kids. A house right. that looked like a bomb had went off, and my wife right. had met her end. And she texted yep. me and she said, "I can't believe that you left the house in this condition." And you're hunting and I'm at home with these kids on my only, she's a school teacher on my, on my weekend off. And I, and that's when the guilt started. And I was like, ah, oh, oh, I feel terrible. I said, oh, and that was, it was at eight o'clock. I said, all right. I said, uh, I can climb out. I'll be home. And she said, she said, no, you're already out there. And it sounds like you've had a good morning. Cause I told her what I saw. She said, if yeah. the conditions are right, you just stay. And I said, okay. I mean, that's usually code, as you know, for hurry up and get home. Is this, so I'm is sitting this there a trick for, or a trap? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So so I mentally in my head, I said, all right, I'm going to stay for another half hour. I'll stay till 8.30. So 10 minutes had passed. Uh, and I said, well, I should probably go home. It had set in deep enough that I was going to. So I put my bow in the holder and I sent her down and I it got on the ground and I let go of the rope that was tied to my stand and I stood up, I put my backpack on and I thought I'll take one last look around to clear the area before I climb down. And I looked and here comes a doe running through the timber and she runs right past me 50 yards and goes right up into the bedding area. And I thought, and she, right before she, she went up in the bedding area, she stopped, she looked back with her mouth gaped open, tongue hanging out. And I thought she's got a buck behind her. So I, I'm going to need this. So I pulled my bow up real fast and I'm scanning the timber and 10 minutes has passed and I'm scanning real intently and nothing had come yet. And I hadn't seen anything yet. And I'm thinking there has to be a buck behind her. And then boom, there he is. And I instantly, instantly, I knew it was, I knew it was baby Denali. I mean, there was no, you know, as wide as he is and as tall times, I instantly knew it was baby Denali and he was working his way so slow, just, you know, eating a little bit, walking a little bit, looking around a little bit, just taking his time. And it took about a half hour for him to get up there. And you don't want that as a deer hunter. You don't want them to take their time. You want it to happen fast. Yeah. So, so he so works his way up through, through there. Your, so what was going through your head over that half hour time period? I'm thinking, I'm going to kill this deer. I can't believe, you know, in, 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 and I, I don't know if you're a religious man and I don't know how many people out there are religious or whatever, but I got to say this too, is, is when I, when, when I got that text from my wife and she told me I could stay, I, I looked up at the sky and I said, you got to help me out here. <laughs> I said this, I want this to be the day you got to help me out here is exactly what I said. And when that deer started coming up through there, it was like, it was like a gift and I, there was no going back. There was no questioning it. I was going to shoot that deer if I had the chance. But right. when that doe went through at 50 yards, I didn't have a shot out to 50 yards. So right after she went through and I looked through the timber and I didn't see anything, I actually thought about climbing down and running over to that 50 yard mark and standing beside a large oak tree that was over there. But I thought, no, yeah. 
you're better off in a tree stand. I, I just stay put. So he came, he worked his way up through there and he got to 50 yards right before that doe went in the bedding area. And, uh, he's going to, he's going to follow her. I mean, there's no doubt about it. So I, I reach into my pocket and I get a, a, a Primo's can call and I give him a couple tips and I don't think he could hear it because of the road noise. So I grabbed a, a grunt tube and I threw a grunt at him and he looked at me, but then he, you know, he, he took a couple steps and he was going to go up in that bedding area. And then another gift, I heard a twig snap to my right and I look over and I don't know where she came from or how she got there, but I'm pretty sure it was that doe that went up in that bedding area and did a big circle and she'd come down and circled back and she was now on my right at 30 yards standing there. And that buck didn't know she was there and she didn't know he was there. So I'm looking at both of them. So I get my grunt tube out a little bit and I give another one and get his attention to look that way. And then she stepped out just a little too far and he saw her. And when, when their eyes met, she jumped a little bit, like it startled her cause she didn't know he was there. And I, yeah. and as soon as their eyes met, I said, you're done. I gotcha. <laughs> Cause he had one thing on his mind at that point, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So is that when he start? I mean, he started making his way towards you at that point when he saw this doe? Yeah, he was at about 50 yards and he made a hard right turn and started come started to come directly, you know, at a paralleling angle, 30 yards to my right. He was going to he was going to walk right through the windows. So he's he's hugging. There's some rock formations that are in there before the, the bedding area. So he's walking along these rock formations. and It's not super clean. I've never been a really good person at trimming shooting lanes. Um, so he's coming along through there. And, Finally, he gets about 30 yards, and it's a little – I'm actually shooting uphill a little bit, and he's right against the rocks. And uh, and I'm thinking, all right, that's about – that's probably about – the. I mean, he's he's working real slow again, I mean, just real slow. And I'm looking at him, he's at 30 yards. I'm thinking, that's probably the best shot I'm going to get. You know, the doe's looking real nervous. They're they, – you know, they're really close together now, and if, you know, she's looking real nervous. If she bolts, you know, it could all be over. Cause them young fawns, you know, when they're, when they're getting, uh, when they're after for the first time, they can be real flighty. So I thought, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to shoot him right there and let's do this. So when he was coming, I had taken, I was, it was pretty cold that morning. I had on a fleece gator and I had on a fleece cap and I had on a fleece bulvanka that went over everything and I had on a real thick under armor jacket. So when he was coming in, I just kind of, real fast. I, I just scraped my head and pushed everything down around my neck. Well, when I made the decision to shoot, I drew and I got to tell you, it's never felt. Oh, so unfamiliar. I, I couldn't find my anchor point. I couldn't find a comfortable spot. I couldn't find the, the string on my nose. I couldn't find anything. And I kind of, you know, you're in fight or, you know, fight or flight right there. And you just want that stress of the situation to be off your body. I mean, that's, that's what's going on. The moment of truth, you want that stress to be relieved. And I was ready to shoot. I was ready to get that arrow on its way. And this deer rattled me. So in the process of pulling the trigger, I had a T handle, uh, back tension type release. Um, I'm kind of getting ready to punch the trigger on that thing, but I also let down at the same time and that bow goes off and that arrow, I have no idea where it went. I knew it wasn't going to be close. I know that. Um, so as the arrows projecting, I'm already going for arrow number two. I'm not even paying attention to where the arrow is going. I'm not looking at anything, but 
going for a second arrow because I knew I had messed up. Right. So I heard the arrow clank, clatter off some rocks and I'm my head's down and I'm getting an arrow and I'm re-knocking and getting my release back on there. And then I slowly come up and I just kind of to survey the damage and see what's going on. And that doe, that young doe fawn, I don't think she knew what had happened. She hardly moved. She moved five yards at most, and she looked pretty relaxed. I mean, she was tail flicking. She was browsing a little bit. But baby Denali, I had to look around for him. He was nowhere to be found. And then all of a sudden, there he was, 100 yards away, clear up on top of the bedding area, way up on top of the bedding area. But he's looking down my way. And I thought, no way. This isn't going to happen. And the doe started feeding, and he started coming. And he'd come down a rock formation, and he'd head bob, and he'd look all over for her. And he'd come down another rock formation, and he'd head bob. And he did that for another half hour. And she milled around, and she eventually milled up to right where I'd missed him at. And he came down, and he came all the way down. And he's walking, he's going to go to the spot where I just missed him. And I'm thinking to myself, this is not an easy shot. I've already missed it once. I do not want to do this again. Um, I don't want to shoot him here. That is a, that's not an easy shot. And, uh, so as he's working in, I'm taking everything off. I take my gator off. I take my hat off. I take my gloves off. I unzip my jacket so that it's not congested anymore. And, uh, he comes up there right to where I'd missed him and the doe standing there. And for some reason unknown, he should have followed that doe. He didn't, he broke off of her and came down the hill 10 more yards and then turned parallel and started paralleling her, almost like he knew he'd been shot at at that particular spot, and he didn't want to go to it again. But he was, he was ten yards, ten or even you know, he was ten yards closer to me than what he was before. Pretty much wide open. This time I wasn't going to mess it up. I drew it back and 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 put it on him. So it wasn't a perfect shot, but I I saw the arrow hit him right mid mass, right in the liver. It looked like a liver shot, but as he ran off, I could see blood squirting out of him so fist pump i said he's done and didn't see him drop he took off running and first phone calls always to the wife so i called her right Right. away and i told her that that i'd shot him you know shot a good deer and she was real happy and then i called my dad he said uh good you know I'll, i'll be there so i said well i'm gonna climb down and inspect the area so I climbed down and, 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 uh, I was so excited and I so saw the blood pumping out of him that I figured he was dead. So I just, I didn't even look for my arrow or anything. I, I totally forgot to do that. I just started tracking him and it was solid blood. I mean, looked like somebody right. taking a milk jug and was just dumping it, you know? And, right. uh, so, but after a hundred yards, it started getting really thin, you know, started getting less drops. And I thought, well, I sat down and I sent a mass text. I took a picture of the blood and I sent a mass picture text message to all my hunting buddies. And it said, all right. I said, solid liver. It said something like solid liver shot, but I could see blood pumping out of the hole. Uh, as he ran away, I was shooting a two inch rage, uh, two blade rage chisel tip. Um, and what do you guys think? Should I go? Should I wait a couple hours? Should I wait more hours or is he dead? Can I go get him? And, you know, all my buddies are giving me their input, you know, but right. we all know what you do. I mean, it's so easy to tell you or tell my buddies if in doubt back out, but when it's your own deer, that's the hardest thing to do. It is so hard to back out when you, when it's your own deer and you just want to go get your hands on him. 
but I was, you know, I was, I had enough courage to do that. I said, I'm going to wait. So I start walking out and my dad's there. My dad can talk me into anything. And he's like, Oh, I want to, I want to see the blood trail. Just show, let's just go up here and you just show me the blood trail. I just want to see it. I said, okay. So we walk up there and we start walking it. He's like, Oh, well, I think this deer's done. Let, let's, let's just go a little bit further. I'm like, dad, really? We shouldn't. Oh, just a little bit further. So we go a little bit further and it's getting thinner again. And then all of a sudden I hear deer get up and run. And I thought, oh, oh, this sinking feeling. This is the worst. I said, dad, we're out of here. We got to go. We, we got to leave now. So we left and it was, it was, you know, it was like the Sunday of before Thanksgiving. So we were doing a Thanksgiving dinner that day. So I went and did my family thing and it was probably a good thing. It kept me out of there, kept my mind preoccupied and, uh, finally found my way back about 12 hours later with a few friends and we took up the trail, but it was light. It took us, uh, three hours to finally track it down. So nice. So liver hit took, took you a while to find him. I, so what did he, you know, you, you got your hands on him. What did he end up scoring? Uh, he, I, I taped him out at 163 and he's really symmetrical. Um, I don't think he'd have a lot of deductions. I have, I've never actually had a deer officially scored. You know, I can run a tape on him myself. So I don't know how many, I don't know how much deduction he's going to have, but you know, he's a, he'll gross it right at, right at 163, I would say. So that's the only score that really matters if you ask me but uh well man that's a stud buck he looks bigger in the pictures but uh congratulations and uh that's uh pretty cool how it all went down well thank you i uh, i've had a lot of people tell me he's a great buck and i know he is uh it's just it's hard to hard for your season to be over i hate it when uh it's great when it's <laughs> over but it's also it's a double-edged sword man you, you, you live for this time of year when you don't have a tag in your pocket you feel kind of empty inside that's right. I'm I'm looking forward to late season now. I can get another buck tag here in Iowa. I get I can get a muzzleloader tag and use a bow. And uh, I haven't been in the tree since November third. So oh wow, it's been a while for me. But yeah, I'm surprised you don't have like the shakes and and withdrawal symptoms. And uh, oh, I do. You know. I do. <laughs> I'm on Instagram all day long, flipping through uh, my feed and looking at all the bucks on there. So. There's ways to cope with it. <laughs> well, there's some cold weather hitting right now. I think the, That's right. I, they're calling for like six degrees tonight here in Ohio. So I imagine out in the Midwest, you're getting, uh, you've already got that or you're getting it currently. So the conditions yep. should be right. You should be able to put the hammer on one. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Well, Corey, hey, man, I appreciate you taking your time to come on the show and share the story. Dan, I appreciate you calling me. I really, uh, I, I enjoy doing it. And, uh, I wish you a happy holiday season and uh, a safe uh, remainder of the deer season. Hey, huge shout out to Corey for coming on the show. Really appreciate him taking the time to, uh, you know, give up uh, an hour of his day to record his story for all of you guys. So thanks a lot, Corey. Also, again, and as always, and I'll say it as much as I possibly can to all the listeners out there, thank you guys very much for downloading this, for listening to this. Um, It makes me happy that you guys are enjoying this. I'm getting a lot of good uh, feedback and reviews from, you know, uh, iTunes. So if you haven't already, go and submit an iTunes review. 
If you're downloading from iTunes, that would be awesome. I would love to uh, get some more reviews built up. If you guys haven't already, follow me on Instagram, follow me on Twitter, follow me on Facebook. Uh, You know, a lot of posts and info are on uh, my social media platforms as well. So go check those out. Uh, Huge shout out to the sponsors or the partners of this show, however you want to look at it, Exodus Outdoor Gear and DeerLab.com. Go check out what those guys have to offer. And what else do I want to say? I just hope everybody has a great weekend, whether you're out with a bow or a firearm or shit, I don't know, whatever you hunt with that's legal. Be safe to yourself and those around you. And if you are in a tree, wear your damn safety harness. Have a good weekend.